This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Good evening, Mr. Whiting. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to record a podcast in the next 90 minutes and to appear uninformed and ill-prepared. As always, should you or your co-host be caught or killed, the Secretary will disavow all knowledge of your actions. This podcast will self-destruct in five seconds. Welcome to Half Measures Podcast. Kira Dan. Paul, I want you to keep my goddamn wife's name out of your mouth. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> I can't believe we've gone there already so soon in the podcast. <laughs> Here I was thinking, do I do this in the voice of Anthony Hopkins? Because that's how it's best delivered and I can't do a good Anthony Hopkins. But then you, you, you've trumped me. See, this this event was meant to be about celebrating Jen Campion and, and, and celebrating all these other things. But now it's all about it's all about the Smith Rock. Let's let's save it for the for the news desk. Like, okay, I'm I'm already fatigued about like it's only been like what 48 hours since it happened. I'm already fatigued with the whole situation. Yeah, it's uh it's if, too much. If I see one more meme about it, yeah, <laughs> just, it's tiring. It's tiring. It's too much. Okay, well we'll jump back into that when we go when we get to the news desk. But let's not mess about because I've got a few films to talk about, and you may have already guessed what one of them is from my intro. But Dan, what have you got for us this week? All right, I've got a couple of things for you this week, Paul. So I have followed up my Creed watch with Creed 2. So this is the 2018 follow-up. And so basically continuing the story under the tutelage of Rocky Balboa, newly crowned heavyweight champion Adonis Creed faces off against Victor Drago, the son of Ivan Drago. So one of the great Rocky battles uh, from back in the day. This is basically, as the synopsis says, Rocky's protege, um, Creed's son, fighting off against uh, against Victor. And it's it's another, like, fantastic boxing movie. So, you know, you've got um, Sylvester Stallone and Dolph Lundgren sort of playing the, the, the old-timers, the, you know, they're sort of having to bring their the the next generation into the fight. And what's kind of interesting with this one, Paul, is when the movie starts off, and it's just kind of poor timing, I think, or I'm sort of hyper aware of it. Mm -hmm. It actually starts off in the Ukraine and in, in Kiev, and that's where uh, Dolph Lundgren and his son Victor are, are training because they've actually been kind of ousted from Russia for basically for um, Ivan losing, losing the original fight back with Rocky, he's blacklisted, off to the Ukraine you go. And it's just kind of like interesting in the context of, of today's world. And the whole sort of movie is really about Michael B. Jordan's character basically being the heavyweight champ, having, um, having to sort of basically put his title on the line. He gets a few sort of beatdowns along the way, but the, he really wants to sort of take on this fight and Rocky doesn't want to train him and he eventually agrees to it and it's a it's just a it's high sports drama and it's a lot of fun if you like the Rocky movies. How does this how does this uh, sort of compare to the first Creed movie? I was just sort of looking at the the the, the rankings online. What about you? Um I think like the first Creed movie is probably slightly better. Um I think this is almost kind of you know, we talk about this with the Star Wars movies, but this is kind of the the new era of Rocky, right? And so, so Creed being that, and I think it's 
Look, I, if I went to see this at the movies, I might have acquired a different opinion, but watching it in the comfort of my own home, like, fantastic watch. Like, it's, you know, it rates on IMDb at about a what, 7.1, I think it is, but it's, like, it's, if you like boxing, you like kind of fight movies, you like a bit of sports drama, you just can't go too past it. And, you know, I said it last week when talking um, about Sylvester Sloan, like, he's still great, and I think he's a, he plays a fantastic kind of, you know, he he's had his run. He's he's kind. Of, he barely even wants to sort of train people in boxing, but he's still having a, a good time in the process. When I look at the synopsis, this second one kind of appeals to me more somehow, and I can't help but think that it's simply the 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 Ivan Drago the that whole that whole storyline, the whole Rocky Four. If he dies, he dies. That whole idea of that film. I of all the movies, that's. Maybe it's not the most famous, but it certainly stood out to me. And so I would be so fascinated to see that character return and to have his son return. It feels like it's set up to be better in that respect, for me at least. I guess this is where all of the emotion of this film really comes from, right? Because uh, Creed's father was was killed by um, Ivan Drago in the the boxing match. Uh, back in back in the original yeah. movie, so so this is this is not just a, a fight for the title, but it's really personal. It's about you know proving himself, and you know uh, Michael B. Jordan's character of, of Creed is is very much around you know building his own legacy. He doesn't want to sort of like he he doesn't want anything because his because of who his dad is, and I think this 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 whole movie is a, is about a story of kind of coming up from nothing and I think what the first movie does really well is it kind of gives you the context of how he grew up and he grew up quite rough and he was in and out of like family homes and now he's kind of he's kind of made it um and but he has to sort of like really put it put himself on the line and you know alongside that this is what the original Rocky movies were like as well like you know he's got a wife he's got a kid there's there's other things at play and all of that matters when you, you're kind of having the crap beaten out of you and I don't know if we talked about it last week, but the third movie, Creed Three, that's lined up, is actually set to be directed by Michael B. Jordan as well. So he's he's you know I mean Sylvester does it a lot, and a lot of actors do it too. But yeah, he's he's really going for it. And that we actually had a message came through on our Facebook from from Paddy this week saying that he loved your review of Creed, and he was he said I can't wait to hear what you think about the sequel. So here we are, we're getting it on the spot Just in time. Just in time. Yeah, look, I think. Again, I just can't keep saying it enough. If you enjoyed the original Rocky movies, this is the perfect sort of modern day update to those movies, and it's it's just a lot of fun. So, uh, highly recommended. Now, moving on, Paul. So, I've now finished season three of Ozark, which you can watch on Netflix. And you may recall a couple of weeks ago, um, you sort of you've been on this Ozark journey with me. Just bear in mind that it is a rewatch. Mm-hmm. Season one, fantastic. Season two kind of like not not as good and kind of we found it a little bit of a, a chore to get through season two season three we're back in the top tier this this is paul this is up there with your your better call souls your your breaking best like it's season wow. three is so good like the tension is high that's like a a simmering pot that's just sort of coming to the boil and each episode's just getting more and more intense and it's such a fantastic time. So for those who don't know anything about Ozark, it's basically stars Jason Bateman and his family have to launder money for the cartel. Starts off real small time, just sort of getting through a, a few million. Now it's turned into a whole sort of operation. They're buying up businesses. There's a riverboat gambling to process the money. 
the cartels sort of putting more and more pressure on them, the FBI is after them. There's this constantly tension, threats. There's other crime going on in the movie. There's other gangsters involved. It's it honestly is such a such a good time. And I think Michael Bateman and in fact the wider cast, Laura Linney and uh, Julia Garner, they're all just so good. And particularly Jason Bateman, I think he's so. If you think about him from like you know something like Arrested Development, where mm. he's he's kind of a bit kind of not 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 caught, like he's kind of a dad, right? He's got a real sort of like like a little bit of a corny vibe, yeah. and but it's it's still kind of endearing. He has that same vibe here, and he's very kind of like sort of black and white and dry about things, but it's done so well with all the very serious and deadly things happening around them. So thoroughly enjoyed season three. And we're so, so sort of grateful to be able to jump in straight into season four, especially with season four, part two coming out at the end of April. Yeah, I was just looking at season four and see that half of it's out and the other half still to come. Season three ratings, you're right on the money. Everyone else is in agreement. High eights, the last few episodes creeping into the nines. So a lot of people loving the the finale of season three, obviously. And I hear what you're saying about Jason Bateman, because when I think of him, I typically think of the comedy side of him. And I, and I think of, you know, like the the horrible bosses or... Or, or any of those great, great comedies. And yet when I saw him recently in The Outsider, which was a very brutal series, and he plays, you know, who is the suspected child murderer and, and all kinds of horrible things, he brings such a different side to his game. And so I can I can fully believe what you're saying about him in this in this role being being really convincing. I think it's it's always sitting there on my watch list and now you're comparing it to Better Call Saul. You knew you'd get my attention with that one. Um, look, I feel like I've said it before on the pod pool, but it's I think you'll really enjoy it. And I think it's 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 a weird one, right? Because when season four first dropped, I was like, I've got to get on this straight away. And even I just kind of like waited for some reason. And so going back and kind of rewatching it is like look, it's been a it's been a good time. I'm hoping that season four is just as good as as season three because it's honestly quality TV. And if you haven't watched it, check it out on Netflix. Nice. And then one final thing I'm going to bring to you is I've read another Star Wars book. So I'm deep into my Star Wars books at the moment. I, I can't quite get enough of them. So this is actually a book that you have previously reviewed on the pod. So I won't really go into a lot of detail about it. But this is uh, Battlefront 2 Inferno Squad. And the, the it's set just after the first uh Death Star was, was blowing up and the Empire basically forms this elite squad called Inferno Squad who go out and do all these sort of great like undercover Black Ops types missions and what's really awesome about it is you've got Inferno Squad actually, the whole sort of the big focus of the book is basically them infiltrating um, a bunch of um, I guess rebels um, who who they're trying to basically like get on their side and just it's it's so it's so great to kind of have a a big story from the from the empire side and i think i recall you sort of saying something similar when when you reviewed this quite a few episodes ago yeah no this one always sticks in my mind and bearing in mind i've got like you know 40 odd books this this sits right in the top top five or whatever it's it's right up there for me because it does that thing and you and i spoke off air about this it does that thing where you empathize with the empire's position to a, to a certain extent. And the, and the, the rebels are being portrayed or spoken about as the 
the terrorists that in some ways they are to to the established government and then you also see you know that the the lines get blurred don't you where the the rebel the rebels uh the infinite squad go after can be quite cruel quite violent quite unpleasant and you know the, the manner they go after the empire is, a, is appalling at times and you find yourself reading it wanting to have them fail and get caught and then you remember older on and maybe you don't feel so bad yeah, and I think that's kind of the interesting thing about this book, right? So you've got, first of all, the main character, um, Iden Versio, whose father is a, an admiral in the Empire and gives her no quarter. Like, he's pretty horrible to her and, like, makes her really sort of work for any sort of um, love emotionally or sort of fatherly figure sort of response to anything she does and the other thing that's really fascinating is this sort of breakout group of the of the rebels called the dreamers they they have no time for the rebel alliance like they sort of equally consider them disorganized like don't sort of put enough uh, passion behind what they do they're not committed and so you've kind of got these real kind of extremist groups um operating trying to some of the missions they go on, they like him to like they'll sacrifice their own people just to sort of cur- like cause disturbances. It's it's a really interesting kind of behind the scenes look um, at the empire. One of the things, um, well, I guess first of all, so the, so the book's written by by Christy Golden, and I think what's what's great about it is she wrote the last book that I read, Dark Disciple, which I had a fantastic time. Hmm. The one disservice I think. I did myself when reading this book as I as I played the the Battlefront 2 um, video game first and the good thing about that is it kind of gave me a real visual of who these characters were because mm-hmm. um, I had a really good sense of Inferno Squad the downside of it is the video game is set after the book and so the whole time I was reading the book I kind of like the, the outcome kind of set differently for me whereas I think if I'd if I'd read the book, then got into the video game, it would have probably blown my mind. Yeah, I've, yeah. Having the, I mean, I guess you've got it in terms of a backstory, but yeah, I think I think you're right. It would have been probably more impact. So, yeah, really interesting, um, great tie-in to have a book with a game as well. Because again, if you're not a, if you're not exploring the the wider Star Wars universe, you you haven't even made those those two connections. For me, it always makes me. Uh, it really brings home the sort of the the Rogue One. Um, when we talk about the the complexities and the layers in between good and bad and it always makes me think about some of the characters that are introduced in that movie that sort of sit in the middle of right and wrong you know sort of like the Saul Guerrero types but there's there's so much in this I love and one of the things you know when I talk about the, the 40 odd books there is very 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 few books set between A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back and so it's really great to have a bit of a a bit of a story there it sort of brings together rogue one and a new hope a lot more um and i just love that imperial perspective of the death star destruction being like an event that within the imperial ranks is just talked about can you believe they blew up a, you know and and just the the views on coruscant become pro-empire it's it's just an interesting piece so it's one of the most fascinating reads i think too it's a good shout about Saul Guerrero's role as well because you know We've seen him, saw in you know, particularly Rogue One, we've seen him in a couple of different video games, but he's referenced heavily in, in quite a few Star Wars books. And again, it's it just kind of, I think for me, gives so much more weight to those characters when I watch a movie like Rogue One, because it's like, you, you know, they they really mean something to me, whereas often in a movie, like we might get, you know, 
five minutes screen time with those guys and they're key players but we just don't have any of the backstory and books like Inferno Squad really really give it to you so if you are interested in, in a Star Wars book like this is this is one you can just jump into and have a fantastic time and don't do what I did don't go and play the game first it, go and read the book first then maybe play the game if you have you're still going to have a good time but I think you'll get maybe a bit more out of it no, 100% agree 100% agree great stuff I'm really glad you read it can't wait to see what's next Look, you know, Paul, me reading books. God, it's 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 a new it's a new age, I tell you. Nerd. <laughs> Indeed. That is me for this week. What have you been watching? Well, uh, as per my intro, I have started up a new movie series to go back and rewatch, and it's the Mission Impossible series. So Mission Impossible, the first movie. Every time I rewatch this movie, it always strikes me. Oh my goodness, this is this is so old. You know, it's nineteen ninety six. So by the time we get to the eighth movie, which they're currently filming, there's going to be basically thirty years between them. I mean, it's it is an incredible amount of time. So this one, obviously based on Bruce Geller's TV series, um, an American agent and a false suspicion of disloyalty must discover and expose the real spy without the help of his organization. The plot of this movie is quite possibly of of all the six that have been released so far this is quite possibly the most simplistic and i think there's a lot about that that really lends itself to this movie having aged well and having and always being enjoyable tom cruise and i think i think you're the same dan he's a real favorite actor of mine and and i think straight away that can be a dividing point for a lot of people not everyone feels that way about the cruise meister i've seen every major Tom Cruise movie since Top Gun and he always for me delivers a great performance um but I kind of I kind of forgot just how young he is in this movie so he's 33 in this and he still has that real maverick type feel not just his look but the way his character reacts in certain scenes and you know we all love that maverick performance but even without having rewatched the 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 later movies yet I'm already feeling like for Ethan Hunt, I do find an older, more mature, more measured performance from Tom Cruise is more satisfying for Ethan Hunt, but it's a lot of fun. It's been a long, long time since I've seen this movie, and I remember um, really enjoying the first few movies, and I don't know what it is for. Maybe it's it's probably due a rewatch for me as well. Some of them I remember the storylines kind of going a bit all over the place and at times being like, oh, God, what, what's happening? And I remember coming out of a few of them being a little bit like unsure of what's actually happened. So maybe uh, slightly older, slightly wiser, Daniel Wyden needs to give these movies another go. Yeah, I think I, I, I know what you mean, actually, and I'm, I'm sort of looking forward to it in terms of this rewatch because for this movie, as I, as I said, it's, it, it is quite straightforward. It is quite simplistic. And so you don't have to think too much and you can follow it quite easily you've got brian de palma directing and of course you know back this is 1996 back in the 80s and 90s he was like a king with his movies just so many great movies um the special effects i think actually hold up pretty well right down to the um the the, the masks and all that i think they're still mm. quite convincing and you know like john voight probably for me one of my favorite roles for him i think in that classic in the classic character role of jim phelps from the series i think he is fantastic jean renault uh as the as the guy we love to hate there's just those classic scenes the whole breaking and the hovering um scene it just they're really quite iconic in in terms of movies 
I wonder whether a bit like a few of the movies we've watched over the recent um, year or so, I wonder whether watching these in close succession will actually make it a more streamlined story. Yeah. And I wonder whether some of the references they maybe were making were from previous movies, which I'd kind of long forgotten. So maybe that's where my fuzziness comes from. Yeah, I feel like that will be the case by the time we get to three and what happens to certain characters that don't show up again until later on. So, so looking forward uh, to that, I don't really have any major um criticisms of, of of this movie the only thing i would say is i've seen this movie so many times so each time a new mission impossible movie would come out we would re-watch all of the series again just to sort of you know catch us back up so that's at least seven watches of this film and i don't know the the re-watch is maybe wearing a little thin on this one for me um you know it's the oldest of them but you know that shouldn't reflect on my overall rating it, it for me it's a classic are you watching these on a streaming service or on your home collection? That is available to watch on Netflix, and we watched it on Netflix, and the the quality was 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 fantastic. And I've only got one more for Mission Possible, but we did dive straight in to the second one. Then, um, so this is two thousand Mission Impossible two. Um, always quite interesting watching this one because it's you know set down under. So he's sent down to Sydney to find a, a disease and destroy it, and. I'll come in straight away and say this is for me the worst of the six so far. And even having not watched three, four, five, six, or you know, for a while, I already remember each time I watched two. There's so much about it that I just don't like. I I, I guess I'm, if I'm honest, I'm just not a fan of the style that John Woo brings to this movie. And I think he has a very distinctive style and I think it works really well in a lot of movies. Like Face Off for me is always a great example of where it's a real John Woo, great experience. But for me, this movie has just so many drawn out slow motion. I think I counted like 36 slow-mos, particularly at the end where the motorcycles basically seem to be putting on like a carnival show as these two people in all black and shades are passing each other in slow-mo trying to give their their best pouting stare at the other person going past it's it's too much and then while i'm on the criticism bandwagon doug ray scott he's just not convincing for me as the villain not at all the guy sean ambrose is massive in this movie and he's just he's just i mean prove me wrong dan but i don't think i've enjoyed doug ray scott in anything so that's me really hitting hard on this guy but i just um i he just doesn't doesn't work for me which is a shame because because there's a lot there is still a lot in here i like like the story itself is fine it's written by ronald d moore and it, you know he's the backbone of star trek in the 90s Battlestar reimagining for all mankind was my number one show last year so the the dialogue and the writing and the, the plot is all fine the gang is all back together it's all you know it's great to have everyone we've got Thandie Newton this is the first time I remember ever seeing her and I think she's great in this you know now she's you know she's line of duty and Star Wars and other things so she, she just went on to great things from this um but uh, overall I just uh, it's like I knew coming into this rewatch that I'd have to watch two, and it was one of those ones where I may have reached for my phone a couple of times during the movie, which of course is sacrilege. It's interesting because the Mission Impossible two poster is so ingrained in my brain, mm-hmm. and when I think when you say Mission Impossible to me, I think of the the Tom Cruise big explosion behind him, like hero sweat back. Like that's the poster I instantly think of. Yeah, 
and there's some great moments in that, like the the opening scene where he's free climbing the the, the rock face, and, and he gets found by Anthony Hopkins' ma- main man while he's on vacation. And uh, there's there's some wonderful lines in there. The scenes there are some, you know, the the robbery scene, the the set pieces are all great. Just doesn't come together for me. So um, yeah, it's a bit of a shame, but um, I'm glad I've watched it. I don't know that there's too much that comes out of this that affects three, four, five, six, but um, I guess we'll see. Maybe someone comes back for seven or eight. I don't know. But um, so that's Mission Impossible two, also available on Netflix. Um, and then finally, Dan, I've come in with uh, one more movie, and this is a movie I've sat on for a while, and I already regret it. And I don't know why I've taken so long to get there because you reviewed this probably about the same time I reviewed Inferno Squad. And this is 2018's A Quiet Place. And this, Stan, wow, I love this. This is a top quality movie. I'm glad that you've finally, uh, you've done it. You're on board. I think I think actually, if I'm honest, I think one of the reasons I may have delayed is because Diana had already watched it. She did a damn whiting and watched it on a plane some time ago. And so it was kind of like, oh, you've already seen that. And we just flicked to something else. But in the end, Diana wants to watch a quiet place too, and it's like, okay, let's let's watch this. And it's an hour and a half. It is it is a perfect runtime for a movie like this. If if you haven't seen it, it's a post apocalyptic world, so tick straight away, and a family is forced to live in silence whilst hiding from monsters with ultra sensitive hearing. And I think that those monsters must be completely blind because they were basically shining torches all over the place. And I kind of thought maybe they've got some sight sense but no it seems like they haven't it is absolutely super john krasinski i think is how you pronounce it he um he directs this and you know when i think of you know when you think of jim in the office and then i think about how he sort of changed that into into performances like jack ryan um, when's when's that season coming out as well? By the way, I feel like we're overdue. Don't be far away. I think it's this year. I think. Yeah, I feel like we're overdue. Like he, he he directed like three episodes of The Office, and then all of a sudden he steps up and says, "I'll direct a movie," and he directs this, and he just knocks it out of the park. And I know he's directing the second. Well, he has directed the second one. Sorry. Um, yeah, I can't say enough about this movie. That it's just it's got tension. It's got great shock moments. Uh, it's how is it defined so yeah drama horror sci-fi yeah it's leaning heavily into the the horror side for me and it's exactly the type of horror it's got that thriller edge to it i just i just thought it was great i saw both of these movies in the movie theater and oh, that's the way it is it. very much a a movie where you don't want anyone rattling their their lolly packet or their <laughs> making any sound because you are quiet with the characters and i think not many movies do that so well and i think this this is a real experience when watching with other people yeah oh no doubt and i i imagine the silence in the movie theater would have been a different experience in itself um it's I was going to say also like um, the the other thing that's just, I think a, a real big standout for me for for this with me was Emily Blunt's character mm. and there's something in particular that when she stands on that nail that oh, I still goodness. feel to this day. I I I remember I think I sort of half curled up into a ball and just had my head. I mean I must have looked ridiculous on the couch, but it was you're absolutely right. It was amazing. She's really really good in this. I mean she gets really. Thr- I mean. Uh, 
John Krasinski must have loved, you know, making her go through some of these scenes because she really has some difficult things to act out. I mean, imagine having your being pregnant, having your waters break just at the moment as one of these uh, monsters happen to come to your house and at the same time that your kids have all run off. I mean, there was so much tension and stress. Um, I think I said something like, if I'd known this movie was going to be this stressful, I would have left it to a Friday. I just found it so stressful to watch. But of course, you love that, right? You love that feeling. The one, the, the only criticism that I have, Dan, I don't know how much you remember, and it's a bit of a spoiler for anyone who hasn't watched it, but they kind of, I felt like they kind of telegraphed the first few minutes. I, I could just tell instantly that that youngest kid was 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 gone burgers instantly when he started you know he, he they were and i guess they wanted to 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 show the audience just what danger these people were in and it was a very effective means of doing it but it was it was played off a little too obvious but hey that's a minor criticism of an otherwise amazing movie look i think it's it's a lot right it's it's so intense and i think there, there's such a a big loss at the end of this film as well that kind of really really threw me and i think Something that you know we've talked about with The Walking Dead is how stressful it would be to have a have a baby, and I think uh, having a baby in this amplified situation where you can't make any noise, that's like a whole new level of threat. I think you're really going to enjoy the second movie because it actually gives you a bit more uh, context around how all this kind of went down. Oh, great! Oh, okay, I love that. Mm. I love that. Yeah, because it, it is kind of like we talked about it with The Walking Dead. How does how does this start? You know, what what's caused this? Um, uh, how did how did Gilead take control of America? Yeah, I'd love to know what's going on behind. How did this thing come about? It also made me start thinking. Oh, I'd love to go and rewatch the Cloverfield movie. And there's all kinds of things because it's just that sort of that monster element was just great. But yeah, I will 100 percent be watching the sequel. I think this week and so quite. Possibly, Dan. My intention is to come in next week with Mission Impossible 3, 4 and Quiet Place 2 because I'm enjoying both of these journeys. I love that. Where did you watch uh, Quiet Place? This one's available uh, to watch on Prime Video. Really, really high, crisp quality. I, I really thought this was... I, that's why I think watching it in the, in the cinema must have been absolutely superb. Amazing. That's all I've got, Dan, other than our movie of the week. Shall we jump into that? So each week, Paul and I take turn choosing a different movie of the week uh, where we review it here on the podcast. If you would like to watch that movie along with us, then you should join our Discord channel where we announce that movie every Saturday, Friday? Ish. It's a a bit of a half measure. It's a half measure. You know, it depends where you are in the world, right? So, but if you want to find out what the movie is before you listen to the podcast, check it out on Discord. And this week we have reviewed Netflix's 2022 The Adam Project. Dan, this week is going to be so tough for me to decide what's my pick of the week. I'm just literally going to be doing it on the fly. This movie, I had a great time. I absolutely loved it. 2022, Sean Levy directed, Ryan Reynolds starring. Uh, after accidentally crash landing in 2022, time traveling fighter pilot Adam Reed teams up with his 12 year old self for a mission to, to save the future. The plot, just that, is everything I could ever possibly have would love to have seen as a kid. It's there's there's so much in this movie that that appealed to me. It was a total hit. It's funny eh? because even though um, I pick this movie this week I kind of came into it thinking I don't know if I'm going to like it because I've kind of got this Ryan Reynolds fatigue where 
He just yeah. plays the same character all the time. But I'm I'm the same. I actually had a fantastic time. I love the story. I love that all of the the jokes weren't just for Ryan, like his uh the, the young kid who who plays young Ryan Reynolds, um, Walker Scobell, I, I thought was just as funny in this movie. Fantastic cast. So many 80s, 90s sci-fi throwbacks. Oh, yeah. I, I just had such a fantastic time. Oh, I really did. And you hit the nail right on the head in terms of the 80s and 90s throwbacks. There was just so much that I was just like cracking up at so much. And And you're right. Because I feel like I really like Ryan Reynolds, and yet I feel like, you know, like you've mentioned, I feel like I've given him a bit of stick with his performances. Where, you know, as you say, he's just become this persona of of Ryan Reynolds, and that he that appears too often. But I feel like this is the perfect setting for him to be just like that. And within a movie like this, I felt like it worked really, really well. I was laughing out loud all over the place. I mean, on this basis alone, I would say if I was doing a peak performance for Ryan Reynolds, I think this movie would be in the mix because I just enjoyed it so much. And I think what they really balance so well with this is this obviously, you know, plays on movies like Flight of the Navigator or even yeah. a little bit of Star Wars. Yeah. And it plays on some of the Marvel movies and Aliens and all that sort of stuff. And I think what's great about it is the, the young kid in this, Orcus Gobel, just I think he just brings in this sort of like perfect, perfectly timed humor that just seems to work so well. And just like referencing lightsabers and stuff like that just gives it a, a whole new level of cool. And I think that balance with the movie doesn't sort of overstay its welcome for me. Like it's kind of like nicely kind of time boxed. It's um, I think pretty easy to watch. It doesn't, for me, didn't really drag on too much. I, like it's just a, I think it's one you can't go too wrong with. And I would imagine there's a few people like us, Paul, who maybe have a little bit of this fatigue, but I think this is one where you could kind of give it, give it another go. Yeah, no, I entirely, entirely give it a go. It's, um, it's really interesting you're just calling out the the young actor Walker Scoble because I thought he nailed it. And yet it's his first ever acting credit bar none, or at least in terms of IMDb. I don't think I've ever looked up someone who's a you know, essentially a leading actor in a movie of the week. And this is the only credit to to his name. And, you know, he just absolutely nailed it. And you know, alongside that you've got a, a great cast alongside that, Jennifer Garner, um, Zoe Saldana and in particular Mark Ruffalo I thought I really enjoyed him as the dad and I love the dynamic of of him as the dad with, with you know with with both versions of, of his son I thought there was a lot of um great moments there um I love the, the 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 age jokes that this kid was making like there's one moment where Ryan Reynolds is like are you on onto those cars Adam and he's like Roger that middle-aged Adam you know he's just really playing out the whole age thing and there was a uh, another one where Ryan Reynolds gets his own back and one of the parents are saying you flew the jet to the young kid and Reynolds is like did you though I don't know there's just it's probably not coming across well on the podcast but there's just some real simple humor that he does so well and of course as soon as he gets the weapon out Adam's like that's a lightsaber dude I know it's so good, and I think they obviously screen tested quite hard on this because I think just the the dynamic between Ryan Reynolds and, and Walker is, is so good. Yeah. And I think good shout on Mark Ruffalo. There's something about Mark Ruffalo which is like a real wholesome, yeah. good guy vibe. Yeah. And it's you know it's fun to think of him from you know as as the Hulk in the Marvel movies, but to see him sort of play these these other characters where he's just a genuine good guy is always a fun time. 
I also I, I can't see Jennifer Garner without thinking about the Alias TV yeah. series. Paul. Yeah, I, 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 she's she's almost typecast for me in those roles. I think the thing is, other than uh, Pearl Harbor, there's there's so few things that I can categorically say. Oh yeah, that was something I, I watched with her in it and maybe i watched it because she was the lead it's uh i feel like every time i see her she's she's always great but yeah no you she does she does always i always have that same flashback memory as well talking of flashback memories there's i love how they when they reference things from from the movie world in a movie for, for some reason it makes that movie even more real for me because they're acknowledging that other movies exist so like the terminator reference as well was 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 great but another thing that I thought worked well was the Blues Brothers theme music that was used as the main theme for this music and throughout the movie. I've like a really crazy choice, and I thought it worked so well. I just I've never heard it used in another movie, but it just somehow worked brilliantly. I, I actually think this is one of those movies where to rewatch it a second time, it's it feels just riddled with pop culture references. Yeah, and I feel like a, a second watch, you'd probably be able to spot a whole whole bunch more. But it's definitely a lot of fun. My only criticism here, and if I, I'm being really harsh here, but I, the only thing I didn't buy into is Catherine Keener as the big bad. I think I think she's a terrific actress, but I don't think she nailed the villain role for me that effectively. It's a minor criticism. I feel like I'm having a real issue with people who play baddies this week, Dan, but um, that's about the only thing I would point out. My question for you, though, Dan, do you think that there's a sequel to be made here and whether you do or don't, do you think they will? I think they will make a sequel on it because I imagine this is probably absolutely killing it uh, on Netflix right now. Mm. I kind of don't want them to make a sequel. They're like, I like just leave something good, like, and then just move on to other projects. Like I don't need every movie to have sort of a, five movie arc to it but look knowing knowing everything we know about the the film industry they are definitely going to be making another one of these yeah i think i think you're right and i i feel like i've got room for more i just i i just really enjoy that dynamic and because they can jump straight into that next movie with the whole wait you're me this is that because they can jump straight in there'll be no time lost in just getting straight into humor and I this is this is when we sit down yeah you know, we sat down with the kids it's it's a great family fun I guess this is probably the the thing that's working to their advantage right like as it doesn't actually matter how old young Adam is like they can go back anytime like whether he's a teenager or whether you know as he gets a bit older they, they can still have the crossover because time travel solves all problems correct I think for me this is this is probably a, a solid three guns for me, Paul. Yeah, I'm the same. That's exactly what I was coming in with as well. It's a full recommendation and available to watch on Netflix. So yeah, easy to get amongst. Easy. Get amongst it. Should I take us on over Oh no, wait, before we do that, you've got a question for me. Same question I ask every week, Dan, and that is of everything you've talked about this week on the podcast, what is your pick of the week? It's tough. I think I'm going to have to go with Ozark season three. We yeah. just were glued to this. We we were just like binge watching episodes like crazy. Couldn't wait to sort of come home the next night and, and watch another episode. So just it, it's such a great season. And it's it's interesting for sort of a show to go like season one, great. Season two, okay. Season three, 
awesome again. And so it's sort of interesting, this sort of little journey we've been on. So Ozark, what about you, Paul? Nice. Yeah, for me, I think it has to be a quiet place. It kind of caught me off guard how, how much I enjoyed it. And I mean, I think I'm, to be honest, once we finish this podcast, I'm pretty sure I'm going to say, should we watch A Quiet Place too? And I'm pretty sure we will. So I think we may end up watching it tonight. Amazing, amazing. Well, let's head over to the news desk. I actually don't have a lot of news, um, but we do need to talk probably briefly about the Oscars. So first of all, before we go into the sort of the darker side of things, let's go through a few of the awards. I'll just sort of rattle off a few. So Best Picture, Coda took that out. Um, that is definitely going to be one that we're going to have to check out, Paul. Best Actor controversially went to Will Smith for his role in King Richard. Best Actress went to Jessica Chastain, who we've actually uh, done a peak performance of mm. here on the podcast for the movie The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Uh, Best Animated Feature, uh, Encanto, which I, I hear is great. Best Director, New, Zealand own, New Zealand's own Jane Campion, which is pretty awesome for Power of the Dog. Yeah. Uh, Best Supporting Actress, Ariana DeBoss for West Side Story. Best Supporting Actor, Troy Koster, which um. He was in Coda, but he was also actually one of the Tuscan Raiders in, uh, I think it was, was it The Mandalorian or The Book of Boba Fett, one of those shows, which I think is, is pretty awesome. But speaking of the Oscars, I guess, you know, it's it's hot news. Everyone's talking about it. And I'm, I'm intrigued on your thoughts, Paul. So Chris Rock made, a, made a, a joke, which if I understand the Oscars correctly, he didn't even write that joke. It would have been written for him by the by the writers of the Oscars. Oh, right. Um, making fun of Will Smith's wife's haircut, basically referencing um, – he basically said, I'm looking forward to seeing her in uh, G.I. Jane 2. And Will Smith's wife has very short hair because it's actually been – if you follow, if you know anything about Jada Pinkett Smith, um, you may already know this, but it's sort of come out more recently that she um, suffers from an autoimmune disorder and has issues with alopecia. So intentionally keeps her hair very short. So Chris Rock made the joke. Um, based on all the footage that I've seen, Paul, it looks like Will Smith originally laughed and then obviously decided, looking at his wife's face, that wasn't okay. And he went up on stage, slapped Chris Rock pretty firmly. And then basically yelled at him from the theater when he went and sat back down. What do you, what do you, what do you think about all this? Yeah, it's really curious. It's uh, I, and it's interesting because I hadn't considered until you mentioned then that of course maybe that wasn't written by Chris Rock because I I guess I'm I'm always thinking of Ricky Gervais at the Golden Globes and you just don't know what he's going to say when he comes out and half of the half of the anticipation of the Globes is almost what is Gervais going to say this time uh, as opposed to who's going to win what. And it's obviously a different feel with the Oscars. And yes, it's because my gut feel is, I don't want to say that I am with Will Smith because I don't, you know, I don't agree with the way he reacted, but if his reaction was that he didn't find that funny, I felt like there was a different way to reflect that in terms of, you know, maybe maybe getting up and walking out, or or just simply having a face that tells the story. You know, maybe that would have been just as effective. Um, but yeah, it's it's curious because obviously he was finding it funny to a certain point, and I just you know, I, part of me is wanting to sit here and say there's just some things you just don't, you shouldn't be able to say. But at the same time, I then think about how I love how Ricky Gervais stands out there and says all manner of things, and yet somehow it feels like he's not saying stuff about people in the room. I don't know. It's it's just really, really extraordinary. 
Yeah, look, I, it's a bit of a complicated one, and I think, you know, as I was saying at the start of the pod, I, I'm already feel completely fatigued with all of the memes and jokes about this. Like yeah. it started off being sort of quite funny, and now it's just kind of, oh, God. I think there's, there's a lot here to unpack in the sense that, I, you know, Will Smith, in, in my view, highly inappropriate, and then to go on and actually win the Oscar, like it just feels like all, all level of wrong. I think should should the joke have been made? Probably not. Uh, but in the scheme of things, the, the joke was pretty tame. And like to do that to like a fellow like a fellow uh actor comedian it just seems it seems so outrageous to me and i think what message does that send to like you know in the future at any stand-up comedy show can someone someone's been picked on in the crowd can they get up and go and slap a comedian is is that the new standard like i just think like there's so much shit going on in the world right now that for will smith to act this way just seems so crazy um and yeah not not condoning the, the the joke that was made but i think just in the scheme of everything going on like it definitely didn't warrant that reaction yeah and not to drag this out too long but one of the, the things that was extraordinary as you say was the fact that he then went on to win like if he was just there as a as a guest you know like jack nicholson sitting up front you know and just watching then then that would have uh maybe lessened the whole you know the whole because there's this whole review going on as to or will will they strip him of the award or whatever, but f- not just that, but also to be sitting front and center. At, like, what if he was? What if he was? He's Will Smith. He's not going to be. But what if he was way back at the back? Is he going to make that walk all the way down? And probably when you're sort of 50 meters into that walk, maybe you've calmed down and thought, oh, maybe I better not do this because he was so close that he probably didn't even have time to think about what he was going to do before it was actually too late. It's really unfortunate, I think, because it's it's really changed my view of Will Smith. Like, in my mind, I've always been like, he seems like a pretty good guy. Like, he seems pretty fun time. He seems pretty, you know, he's good at his craft. But I think this has kind of changed my outlook on him. And I think, you know, <laughs> Will Smith has copped a lot of crap over the years because of uh, some of the relationship choices that, that they've made. Uh, between Jada and himself and I think it's like is it just like a big build-up like what who knows what's going on either way I'm sick of talking about it <laughs> it's um and I'm, and I'm dragging this out myself so I'm going to move on so we'll uh, two final bits of news um so Daniel Radcliffe uh who you may know from Harry Potter has recently come out and said he's not interested in returning as Harry Potter for the, in the role of the cursed child um I think basically TLDR of the article. He's been there, he's done that. He's not interested in going back to the Potterverse, which I think is fair enough. He's probably worked very hard to kind of shed the shed the title of Harry Potter. And then the final bit of news, now you may or may not have seen this, but there's been a, a deleted scene released uh, from the Batman, which shows quite a intense sort of dialogue between, which I guess is the, the Joker and Batman. Have you seen this, Paul? Yes, I have, yes. So it's a interesting scene. I think having watched it now, I'm kind of glad they cut it because I think it would have really taken away from what the film is and taken away the focus from the Riddler and the Penguin. And it kind of maybe would have felt kind of like jammed in there. But it's kind of a it was it was in my like cool to see what they were doing with the Joker. Cool. Like, I always like to see when they take a bit of a different angle and a bit of a different approach. And you can see there's a lot of potential in this universe. Yeah, I wonder if they sort of 
deliberately released it as a as a deleted scene to see what sort of reaction it would get from the public in terms of oh, I definitely don't want that kind of you know or oh that looks awesome they should definitely explore that you know it's sort of it's a great way of testing it by having it as a deleted scene I guess um, great shot it's um, yeah it, I, I entirely agree though from the point of view of the Batman movie and we talked about it when we reviewed it not taking that focus away from from Pen- well not Penguin Riddler um that was the right thing to do because the Joker seems to be, I don't know, the king of the villains and sort of can out muscle any of them just by presence sometimes. And I felt like, no, this this is definitely the Paul Dano show. He's the Prince of Gotham, Paul. Correct. There you go. That was the correct expression. That is all of the news that I've got. Is there anything at your end? Not too much. I would trying not to make a fool of myself i was going to try and message you surreptitiously but it's too late now i couldn't remember if you'd already announced this in another news desk but the the penguin limited series has been greenlit by hbo max yeah we did talk about that a, a couple of weeks ago i think <laughs> there we go i just it just came up on my feed and i was like do i know this anyway very exciting uh the only other thing i've seen this week which has got me excited is little teaser trailer for only murders in the building season two which uh is is a hundred percent one of my top shows from last year and then some late news that came into our discord channel and i did sort of see this flick up somewhere earlier as well as um a, a colin firth and tony collette uh hbmo uh, the staircase uh, limited crime drama um it looks it looks good and I haven't seen Colin Firth in a wee while and I certainly haven't seen him in a TV thing for quite some time. So that that would definitely be worth checking out when that comes out as well done. Sounds great. Anything in the mail mailbag this week? Yeah, so the questions that you and I answered last week from from Bruce Gray about our childhood TV memories, uh, that actually drew the attention of a few people and we had a few other people write in. We had Ash Gardner from The Man Over Two first show that he religiously watched uh can remember watching was night rider a tv show he wanted to be on was alf <laughs> crazy choice i love that uh the show that uh, the whole family would sit down to watch was macgyver and ash's best answer and one that i might even have to steal best theme tune is the theme tune from minder i downloaded that song and i don't download many songs i love the theme tune from minder great great shout um Geek Girl Review from Australia, her favourite theme tune was Astro Boy. Uh, Nick Taylor from Wellington, first show can remember watching religiously was He-Man. Great series. Uh, Norman from Roddenberry.com, theme tune would have to go either Mission Impossible or Doctor Who, as they're both themes that you know from the first few seconds. And the series that he first watched religiously was uh 1978's Battlestar Galactica high five Norman I remember watching that in the 80s myself so yeah thank you again Bruce uh for those questions he mentioned that he listened to last week's pod he enjoyed our responses not only is he a fan of uh Grandstand and Des Lynam as well but he particularly liked your selection of the Beverly Hillbillies Den. so that was a bit of fun um one other thing we've got here also just a little shout out to at Pixel Fun, who's a digital artist with a few thousand fans online who creates movie posters out of image frames from that movie. And he sent, he or she, sorry, they sent us one of their creations, a pixelated Half Measures podcast logo using only frames from the Cuphead show, which sounds crazy, but if you zoom in, 
every pixel is a cuphead show frame. Uh, he, we've retreated it so you can see it on our Twitter feed. So yeah, thanks for that. That was nice. And oh, and then finally, peak performance Sam Mendes. One response this week, Dan. As always, Paddy. Three, two, one, American Beauty, Jarhead, and Skyfall was Paddy's number one. And that is our mailbag this week. And I may have to consider a rewatch of MacGyver as well. That's a, a good shout on MacGyver. Like, even just, I, I didn't even think about MacGyver, but that probably was a, a real solid family watch in our house yeah. and also a solid uh, tune as well. I definitely have memories of like using my dad's pocket knife to try and like do all sorts of weird things, which I probably shouldn't have been. So good shout. Something really satisfying about watching MacGyver fix something. I, I think that was where the A-team kind of had it whenever they'd mm. they'd create something out of a bo- load of boxes and the, the, the what do you call it? The blowtorch was always involved. It didn't matter what you were doing. B.A. Breckers would have to get the, the blowtorch going. The most terrifying episode of MacGyver for me as a child was the one with all the ants. The, I think they were fire ants and they were like crawling all like, there was like big swarms of them and they were like crawling all up their bodies and they were covered in ants. Does that ring any bells for you? It doesn't, but I'm Googling it as you speak because that sounds incredible. Um, I, I could go a rewatch of that because it has been a long, long time. I, I would say decades. Well, they they did remake it as well. Yeah. I, I imagine it's who not, who knows what what the quality of that's like, but it probably brings us to our peak performance. So while you're googling that, Paul, oh. each week Paul and I take turns choosing a different actor, actress, director, producer, whoever it may be, and we choose who we think is their peak performance. This week, Paul, who have you picked? This week, I decided to pick Gillian Anderson, uh, and I can't remember what made me think of that but i just thought she's been in so many great things and i sort of said to myself would it would it be x-files would it be x-files because that's the classic would it be so let's find out if it is um shall i go first or should you go first dealer's dealer's choice choice okay so i'll go firstly honorable mention 2020 season four of the crown um as the prime minister margaret thatcher without doubt is the most um the most uh, the most complete performance by anyone to ever play margaret thatcher and i guess I, what i mean by that is everything from the voice to the look to the mannerism to the walk to the head tilts just a master class and it's it's extraordinary really because back in the 90s you know when thatcher was still in power and of course Gillian anson was already starting to play scully if, if you'd said to me that she was going to play on a tv series i'd said no it's just not it just wouldn't happen and she is she's top draw in this she really threw herself into it so that's my that's my honorable mention but the peak performance in the end i decided to go with dsi stella gibson in the fall and this is a series that ran for three seasons from 2013 to 2016 and she plays a detective um, who goes up against Jamie Dornan, who plays a, a, a cold serial killer in Belfast? Um, yeah, th- th- given that this is a TV, TV, a British TV show, British cop drama, it was always going to come on my radar, right? But she she plays a very complex character, very intelligent, very methodical, very brave. There's a lot of scully qualities about her, but she has this coldness to her. And then when you see her off duty. That's when things get complicated and then the relationship that she has with Jamie Dornan's character becomes very, very complicated. And she just, if it had been acted by someone else in a different way, it may have not worked or not been believable, but she makes it 
really, really believable. And this, I mean, this show, just looking at it, has 100,000 votes over 8.2 out of 10. So they're right on the money. That is my peak performance. What about you, Dan? Great shout. I think, you know, Gillian Anderson is actually, I thought, oh, this is going to be easy. I'll just sort of like, you know, open it up. There'll be like one or two easy choices. But I, I really struggled to choose my my top two here. For my honourable mention, I've actually gone with the 2019 TV series Sex Education. So this is where Gillian Anderson plays uh, the mother to Otis Milburn, and she's a, basically a sex therapist. And Otis has to sort of deal with this, and everyone in the school knows what his mum does. And it's, you know, she just plays this fantastically, like, open loving mother who's completely over the top kind of a pretty eccentric and uh, she plays the character of Jean Milburn and I think I just every time I watch an episode of Sex Education I just love Gillian Anderson more and more and I think she's kind of one of those actresses that every time I see her she goes further and further sort of up the ranks in my my book of of great actresses so that is my honorable mention but I'm actually going to join you Paul with the with the fall I I'm kind of a little bit angry that you chose the four because I was going to choose Hannibal. I was um, too. <laughs> and I was like, I'll choose the four because I don't think Paul will choose it. But I think for all <laughs> the reasons that you've said, such a, a quality, quality show. Um, and if you're ever looking for sort of a, a great um, British TV show, the four is definitely a good one. It's, it's dark, it's twisted, top quality acting. It, it's a hell of a good time. It's so interesting you say that because I I was toying with the idea of Hannibal as a as a as an honourable mention because because you're right she's fantastic in that and yet the Thatcher was too good and I couldn't go there. What I find extraordinary, of course, is neither of us have have gone with Exiles and yet that's the role that probably overall I enjoy her in the most and I could I could be tempted into an Exiles rewatch one day when I've got a lot more time on my hands. Um, I remember it was one of the first first shows that uh diana and i watched together um when we when we first met one of the first things we sort of we, we bought the dvd box set and it's just it some of it maybe hasn't aged the greatest perhaps given that you know i'm already going back a long time in terms of rewatch but it's it's yeah it's just interesting when an actor or an actress is so well known for something so iconic that when you actually look at their careers you end up saying actually this is their best work over here and that's what I enjoy about our peak performance feature, Dan. I think it's interesting eh, because I've often thought about going back to the X-Files, but it kind of overwhelms me. There's just so yeah. many seasons and episodes. I just wonder whether it's better left in the in the good parts of my memory. But I'm sure there's people out there that watch it. I'm, I'm sure someone will be able to write in and tell us their experience of rewatching the show because it's a bit of a cult classic. Just while we're there, did you rewatch? Did you watch sorry, the, the newer seasons that they recorded in 2016? No. Okay. Yeah, it's. I think if you were to do the rewatch and then go straight into those, it would be really interesting to see how that how that sort of plays out. Because of course we just watched it as it came out new, and there's such a big time jump that I wonder how that it works. Was, it was such a classic Friday night TV show for me as a, as a young kid, and kind of like you know sometimes it'd be a little bit scary, but it was always a good time, and it always left you with intrigue, and uh, it's good memories. Good stuff. Well, Paul, that probably just about brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures Podcast. does indeed. Uh, thanks to everyone who got in touch with us again this week. If you'd like to, uh, please do so at halfmeasurespodcast.com or on our social media with any suggestions, comments, criticisms, disagreements or suggestions. 
And also a special shout out as always to our Patreon producers, Samara King, Trisha Brady, Diana Kanawa and Linda Tavner. We couldn't do it without you. If you too would like to become a Patreon supporter of the show, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.